What's up, everybody? It's Sathya Sam, and welcome to Unleash the Man Within. Today, we are sitting down with a legend, an absolute legend in the porn recovery space. His name is Andrew J. Bowman. You may say, okay, Sathya, that's great. I don't recognize the name. Well, um, to give you a little bit of context, about 10, 12 years ago when I was struggling and really serious about getting free, the only people who were talking about this kind of stuff in the Christian circles were Triple X Church and I think Covenant Eyes was on the up and up, but there really was not a lot going on. And Andrew Bowman was really one of the first people to start a blog for Christian men talking about how to recover from pornography and porn addiction. And he was just a normal dude, you know, and he just put it in really simple language. Uh, but he had insights. He was resourcing people. And um, he is really, honestly, probably the front runner for uh, resourcing Christian men in this area. And he's got a really profound view of sexuality at large, um, of what it looks like even from a theological perspective. And I think you're going to be really, really blessed by our interview. And if you don't have tons of time, you need to listen to just the first probably 15 minutes. It is pure gold. I mean, he was just spouting some real wisdom and um, he's, he's a fountain of knowledge. Just a, a lot of insights, uh, a lot of paradigm shifts happening in this one for me, even as he was talking. There's a couple of things where it's like, you know, I've kind of heard people talk about this, but not quite the way he uh, talked about it. Um, it was really, really good stuff. So I want to read his bio here. I want to make sure I do this justice and then we'll jump in. So um, Andrew is the founder and director of the Christian Counseling Center for Sexual Health and Trauma. He is a licensed mental health counselor and a master of, with a Master of Arts in Counseling Psychology from the Seattle School of Theology and Psychology. Um, he's also working on his doctorate right now, which he mentioned to me uh, off camera. Andrew is the author of Floating Away, Stumbling Toward Wholeness, The Psychology of Porn, and A Brave Lament, which I believe he wrote with his wife. Um, but he's a very accomplished, a really successful guy in this area. Uh, but much more importantly, he's just got an incredible message. And I know, I know you're going to grow as we dive in to my interview. So without further ado, here we go. Let's jump in. So here's the million dollar question. How are men like us who work hard, have good motives and a God-given purpose supposed to fulfill the calling on our lives and the dreams in our hearts all while establishing sexual integrity, thriving relationships, and a meaningful connection with God? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Sathya Sam. Welcome to Unleash the Man Within. Okay, well, I'm here with Andrew Bowman. Andrew, welcome to Unleash the Man Within. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Excited to be with you all. Yeah, I, I mentioned this in our earlier correspondence, but I followed your stuff for a long time. I think you were maybe one of the first people to kind of get in the blog space and talk more openly about uh, healthy sexuality, especially for a man from a Christian perspective. Um, so kudos to you for that, man, because I think um, it's, a, it's a lot easier to do it now. You know, like it's still hard. It's a tough subject. But when you're sure. kind of the first person in the blogosphere to, <laughs> to do it, uh, that takes some kahunas. So well done, man. Yeah. It's a real honor to have you here. Uh, thanks so much, man. Appreciate it. So um, you and I both know people don't get into this kind of work um, because they dreamt about it growing up as a kid. Uh, generally speaking, for me personally, you know, I had higher hopes of being a pizza delivery boy. Um, but I'm wondering uh, for you, uh, just tell us a little bit of your background and uh, what is it that brought you to this kind of work? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a great question. Sadly, I mean, what you alluded to, we get into this normally because of our own brokenness and our own story. Um, there's no way that I would choose to want to confront my own shame every single day in my work, right? <laughs> leading, yeah. leading men in their sexual brokenness sucks because I have to face my own brokenness every day. I have to face my own shame of 13 years of addiction uh, to pornography, abusing women. I have to face myself. And that's some mm. of the hardest work. And yet the most necessary work for us to be healthy, healthy sexual men. Yeah, it's really well put. I'm wondering if you can uh, elaborate a little bit. You mentioned having a pornography addiction and uh, abusing women. Is, is that just in reference to watching yeah. pornographic content or were, were there other things going on as well? Yeah, well, pornography rarely stays just pornography, right? So it, yeah. it always increases. We need more to get off. Uh, we need more and more and we become more and more dangerous. Um, I used to say, if a mentor hadn't come into my life, um, Dr. Cofield, who's a therapist, took me in. I ended up moving in with them and fathered me. I used to say I would be dead without him, but that wasn't necessarily true. I most likely would be in jail for a sexual crime. Um, and that was such a humbling, humbling truth to acknowledge that I was on this path. I began to um, relate to women um, pornographically. And so um, hmm. you can you know, read that in my book, The Psychology of Porn, but that type of style of relating is a dangerous style of relating that feeds into entitlement, feeds into using women as objects and property. And so I began to relate in that way, which I also named abusive. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate the transparency on that. And I think it's really, um, it's important. Like I, I, think I think a lot of people have reduced porn consumption to just being someone's uh, seeking out pleasure. Yes. But it, it's so much more than that. And the nature of yes. pornographic content um, really has a lot of subtle messages around violence against women, domination. Yes. Um, it's obviously very self-focused to begin with because you're seeking your own pleasure and kind of um, distorting exactly. God's view of sexuality. So that uh, thank you for just kind of framing that and right. um, explaining a bit. You used a word that um, I, I think the Christian world is getting more con comfortable with and that's the word brokenness um which i don't know i don't know what kind of circles you grew up in but for me i certainly grew up in an environment where you would not dare confess or you would never speak that into existence that you were sexually broken um you know because that that whole kind of language was very um i think scary and especially around sexuality where um it was very high on the ideals and not so much on the journey and, and the development that takes place i wonder if you can just in layman's terms Give your definition of sexual brokenness. Yeah, yeah. Who, who we are sexually is a reflection of who we are in every area of life. What do I mean by that? that mm. like, what I mean by that is that if we can look and be curious about our sexuality, then it gives us insight into every arena of our lives. So if you live sexually in shame, if you live hidden, your shame and your hiddenness is going to come out in other arenas. That's just mm. how it works. You're going to live with shame. You're going to live, um, you're going to have other secrets in your life, right? You're going to have other secrets. So, so when I refer to brokenness, I refer to that, right? The hiddenness, uh, the secrets, the, the part of us that are working out our woundedness through our sexuality, right? Okay. Unprocessed, unprocessed trauma is always reenacted. So we reenact the wounds um, through our sexuality. So we have to deal with our woundedness to deal with our sexuality, to become sexually healthy. 
That is really good. Is it, um, I'm kind of asking a facetious question here, but does our brokenness always translate into our sexual lives or are there other Mm -hmm. avenues and outlets where it might translate instead? Uh, Of yes and no. Um, Of course it does. And of course it doesn't. Right. So um, yes and no, it comes out through other addictions. It comes out through other ways we want to escape. Definitely as well but our sexuality and i know for me and those of us who are probably in this in this room or or following your work like we we use that through our sexuality and yet our sexuality is is always a great teller of who we are yes yes I, i love the way you connected that um i wonder if you can talk a little bit about your story um the 13 year porn addiction um kind of abusing women that distorted view with starting the blog, uh, did sure. did you kind of get things under wraps before you started writing about it? Was the blog a way that you were mm-hmm. kind of healing? How, how did those yeah. two parts of your story integrate? So it was actually, I was, this is probably 12 years ago. Uh, no, maybe more like 10 years ago. I was leading a, a conference on addiction with actually Jay Stringer. And uh, somebody asked me a question. I was, uh, how did you, Andrew, how did you get into this addiction work? And I said, because of my 12 year addiction, 13 year addiction to pornography. And I was like, oh my gosh, I just said that. That was the first time I had already had a private practice, but it was a general private practice. I had Mm. never admitted publicly my addiction because of my own shame. And so that was kind of the beginning in a public, you know, there's probably 30 people there, but in a public setting, naming my addiction and fearing that they were going to judge me in the same way I judged myself. Harsh contempt, right? Harsh um, self-hatred, shame. And yet I looked in their eyes and they're leaning forward. Their eyes had softened and I was able to bring my story and they felt honored, right? And then I began to slowly make peace with my history um, and begin to be more open. But it really happened on the front lines of my work as a therapist, realizing there was not good resources for this, having these conversations more and more, seeing more and more men come to me with unwanted sexual behaviors. Um, and, and that was kind of the beginning. How do I begin to create resources that actually help my work as a therapist? Because most of the stuff out there sucks, yeah. right? Most of the stuff out there is just behavior modification. It does not get to the core the core wounds. And so that was kind of my beginning. It was, I'm gonna start writing, blogging. I'm gonna turn this into a little book, psychology of porn that I can use with my clients. You know, and then that year, Jay's book comes out, you know, um, other material. Um, let's see, Michael Cusack, Sur- Surfing for God. That was a good material. You know, there's like some other in-depth material. Finally, now is starting to come out um, that now we can, okay, we can actually lean deeper into this. It's not about just balancing your eyes or, you know, getting good software. Yeah, yeah. I, I really appreciate that. And I think for me, that was... Uh, Certainly my experience as well, like I got really uh, frustrated with the binge purge cycle. That's pretty much inevitable when you're only doing behavior modification. And uh, I know for me, it wasn't until I addressed my own wounds and the own heart issues that you start to kind of see that long-term transformation. Um, I'm wondering now, so like you you mentioned that was maybe about 10 years ago where this thing kind of pours out of you almost accidentally. You can see the response. Um, You start to put out resources. Uh, What is it like now? Uh, You know, you you have a a ministry, uh, your entire life is, it revolves around, you know, your experience and helping guys in this area. Um, 
I guess I'm curious, like if you can be as granular as possible, like do you have safeguards in your life that help you, mm-hmm. um, that help you, you know, keep your sexual, keep your sexuality intact, um, that ensure you're staying the course? Do you have an internet filter in addition to some of the other stuff or, you know, what yeah. are some of the things that you do now to keep yourself sexually healthy? Sure, sure, sure. Well, for me, I've been sober about 12, 13 years, right? So, so the, I take the, the vantage point, um, I take the vantage point of outgrowing. I believe we can outgrow our addiction. I don't believe in a sense you're an addict forever. I matured Mm -hmm. out of it. Right. And it takes a lot of work to mature out of it, but I have fundamentally changed my relationship with beauty. Right. That's the work. Um, So I don't, I don't need filters. I don't need, I have a choice. I have agency. I have power now to say, no, I do not want to be that type of man who consumes women. Um, So I don't need that now. I truly believe yeah. we can outgrow porn. We can mature out of it. Um, and yet I'm having authentic conversations all the time, personally, professionally, like that's, this is what I do. This is, we have to have, you know, uh, writing has been a, a way for me to make sense of my sexuality, right? I write for me and I make it public and other people have connected with it. Um, I write to make sense of my own sexuality, of my own world. Um, and so that's a way for me to continue to engage my own sexuality. Yeah, that's beautifully said. And I, I think that the, I don't know if it's the church or whoever it is, um, somewhere along the way, I think this idea that freedom is uh, this dichotomous thing of like either you're free or you're not um, has been instilled in us. And it's really not true. Like freedom is a, a gradient, right? And um, yes. you can be sober and you're still working on your freedom daily. And I, I love that you have those yes. practices. Um, and I think that th- those are the best ministries, aren't they? Where it's it's serving you, and it's yes. serving the people that you're serving, you know. Um, I, I think it's really, really cool. Um, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the, the sexually healthy man, this framework that mm-hmm. you've kind of designed. Um, it's very in-depth, very comprehensive. Uh, you, you sent the resource over to me and I was looking at it going, wow, there's there's a lot to unpack here. Um, so we're, we're definitely going to go into it, but I'm wondering if you can tell me about kind of the origins for this framework. How did you come up with it to begin with? Yeah, well, growing up for me in a more conservative kind of evangelical, deep South, um, you know, I, I was ta- taught porn bad, right? <laughs> sex, sex good in marriage, porn right. bad. And that was it. That was the end of my comprehensive sexual um, growing up. My parents didn't yeah. talk about it. You know, I see this story every day. And so I began right into uh, adolescence. The internet becomes a thing. I find pornography, get exposed to it, kind of middle school, slowly my curiosity, I begin to learn porn becomes my mentor, right? Porn becomes my teacher in a sense, because of the lack of parenting around sexuality, the lack of church really speaking to the nuances, I didn't have any tools. And so realizing we got to create like tools. What is sexual health? What are the good things, right? Sex is not bad. Sex is beautiful. How do we engage it beautifully? without shame, without just the nose. Like I want something positive. And so, so this was it. How can we juxtapose um, what is sexually unhealthy, what is healthy, and then how do we begin to live into that? Okay, makes a lot of sense. Um, you actually reminded me of one other question I was gonna ask just before we dive into this. In your, um, you know, I guess recovery, um, sobriety, as you kind of outgrew pornography, what were some of the major core wounds that you had to address to reach that place? 
Yeah, I think for me, a lot of it um, surrounded my own sexual abuse, my own wounding from my own father. Um, my mother responded um, to my father's uh, betrayal. My father was a pastor, um, cheated on my mom, hiddenly for 25 years, um, you know, lived a secret life. And, you know, we left my dad when I was eight, and yet we just went on vacation and left my dad. You know, it was like nobody ever mm. talked about anything. And then wow. my mom's way of coping, because broken marriage, all she wanted was this healthy Christian marriage. She went numb for 25 years, right? And so I had nothing to connect to. I had no stable, stable um, kind of connection. Nobody was honest with what was going on. It was this big shame on the family. And yet nobody, I didn't even know what we were doing. We just moved three states away and just <laughs> left. Um, wow. Right. And, and how heartbreaking for that little boy, eight year old boy who had no clue about his own story. And so me going back, me healing, me beginning to care for that little lonely boy. I mean, I still remember eight years old kicking rocks down this this event, this old dirt road, being feeling so lonely at eight. Hmm. Like, do you hear the heartbreak? Like, I have to begin to weep and grieve for what that little boy lost not having a father, but also not having a mother, right? Being orphaned. I have to make peace with the orphan and I have to begin to learn how to reparent that little boy. And so that's the beginning of the healing work because porn becomes the parent in a sense, mm. right? Porn becomes the teacher. Porn becomes the mentor. Porn becomes the, the soother of those wounds. And that's why in the first essay of the book psychology of porn i call it blessing pornography and people are like why why what is it it's not actually blessing the act of pornography it's blessing the little boy who was so hurt that he found soothing wherever he could and when i can begin to bless him i can begin to release my addictions and set him free to choose better lovers that's so powerful and in some ways if you can't do that then you give pornography that place. You allow it to keep its place as yes. sort of the, the pseudo parent. So I, I think that's really powerful. A yeah. little bit counterintuitive, but, uh, but quite necessary. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay, so we got the, the emotion, or sorry, the sexually healthy man. Um, mm -hmm. There's about 12 qualities here. And I, I think what I wanna do is we'll go through each 12 sets. Um, there's a couple that mm -hmm. I wanna double down on. So we'll start superficial at all of them. And then I might mm -hmm. ask you a follow-up on uh, one or two of them, and we can go in a little bit deeper. Yeah, sounds good. Uh, the okay. first quality the first quality of sexual health is emotionally present versus emotionally distant. Do you have your partner's face during intimacy? Right? Are you connected? Um, right? When I was using porn, I had to teach my body how to disconnect. If, if you tell yourself the truth, I am participating in sex trafficking. I am objectifying and, and violence against women. How am I going to achieve orgasm if I tell myself the truth, right? Hmm. So I have to lie to myself. This doesn't hurt anyone. This isn't, this isn't a big deal. This is whatever. This is Well, they signed up for it. I have to <laughs> lie to myself. I have to disconnect from my body to be able to achieve pleasure. So you're practicing a disembodiment for wow. years and years and years. So you become disembodied. So the work I do with men is about embodiment. You know, I got eight men flying in this weekend and we're all we're doing embodiment work. We're going to do some crazy stuff, you know, yelling, taking baseball bats to things. And we're going to use our bodies to re-engage our trauma, to wake up our bodies and to be 
to become human again, because so much of our work is being disconnected from our bodies. So it can't just be talk therapy. It has to become uh, embodied and emotionally present versus emotional distance. That's really powerful. And I, I think that's next really one. Hidden. You ready for the next one? Yeah, yeah. I just want I just want to comment real quick. Yeah. I think I think what's really um, salient about that is that men for you know maybe generations have been taught like all you need to do is just show up and put food on the table and um and i think what you're touching on there is really it's breaking down those walls not just for yourself and not even just for your spouse but we're talking about like generational impact when um the man is showing up emotionally present so that's a big deal uh please carry on yes yes yeah the next the next category we touched on it a little bit secrets hidden life versus authentic and true right no more secrets no more Mm. be the same dude in every arena it's so liberating, terrifying at times. But I, I remember being a pastor before I was a therapist and still having unwanted sexual behaviors and, and realizing like how much I did not respect myself, right? Because I was living a duality and how liberating it is to, to be one person, the same guy here in front of you as a, by myself, as at church, as you know, behind my computer screen in the shower. I'm the same dude. I'm just like, it's so liberating to no longer have secrets. And I truly believe that God is truth. And the more we live in truth is the more we experience God. And so how will you choose to live in truth, full authenticity? And that's the mark of a sexually healthy man. Mm, Wow. Really good. Yeah, really good. I think you said that perfectly. Let's go to the next one. (laughs) Yep. Next one. This is fairly basic. Isolation versus community. You know, you've built a little community or big community over there. It's like, that's the work, not doing this alone. But it's not just accountability, right? I remember doing that, right? I remember we we called it the jackpot. Every time you masturbated, you gave five bucks. It was just like, we just put a bunch <laughs> yeah. of $5 bills in the, in the church ceiling. Like we just masturbated a lot and told each other. That's not what I'm after. I'm after not just honesty, but authenticity, right? I'm asking, mm. actually asking you to suffer together bleed together, go to your childhood wounds, but it has to be in community. It has to be rooted in relationship because pornography is about isolation. That's really so leaning into sexual health is leaning into community. Mm -hmm. And would it be fair to say that I I think another strand of the communal piece is actually, it has nothing to do with having those conversations around sexuality. It's just having life together. And if the sexual parts come up, that's great. You talk it through. And if not, it's fine, but it's just those sure. deep, meaningful connections that add value to your life and you know keep you from wandering and drifting sure. towards exactly. sexual misbehavior. Right. Yeah. And you're yeah. practicing, you're practicing authenticity. And yet, right, everything's sexual. Um, everything like it's all it all actually feeds into each other, right? They all mm. mirror each other. And so even if it's yeah. not sexual, of course it is. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> um, okay, really cool. Uh, our next set here. Yep. Humility versus arrogance. I don't know a sexually healthy man who's an arrogant man because sexual health comes at a cost, right? So Mm. for me, as I'm working towards health, this has been hard, right? This is because I have harmed women. It's because I have been an abuser. It's it's not like I'm going to be somehow super proud of this, right? It's actually because of my brokenness that I can be humble and I can continue to step in to and lean into what it means to be um, healthy. And yet you have those guys that are arrogant and like, oh, yeah, I know what to do. I'm going to get this chick and this girl. It's just like the arrogance is based off of um, a shallow pornographic mindset 
that um, is, is just, is ab- absolutely toxic. It's, yeah. it's sexually unhealthy. Is there, is there uh, again, I guess another side of arrogance that's maybe more covert than overt, you know, where people are, yeah. they feel like yeah. they can handle it all on their own. Or like you said, it's the justification of like, this isn't really hurting anybody else. Why can't I just kind of have my own fun here? Yeah. Um, does that, does that play into this as well? Yes, definitely. Yep. Well said. What would it look like to handle that element with humility instead? Yeah. Well, what does it mean to grieve over your story? What does it mean to begin to have compassion on your addiction? What does it mean to actually allow yourself to break your heart? Like that's, that's going to create humility is when you allow yourself to be broken, right? Will you engage your story? Will you go there? And if not, it's like, it's going to create arrogance because it's a humbling journey to really self-reflect, to tell the truth about your life. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, it's really good. Really well said. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think you might have skipped over uh, reality and fantasy. Can we go there next? Oh, yeah. That's an important one. Pornography is based completely on fantasy, right? I mean, I remember in my acting out days, I'd go to a coffee shop and all of a sudden I'm like, man, I wonder if she's going to jump over the, the bar and, and jump on my body and just, you know, it's like, what the heck? The pizza delivery girl is going to be super hot and, you know, just want me. It's so ridiculous. And yet I've been feeding my mind these, these pornographic fantasies for so long that in, in a sense, I was anticipating this odd, you know, fantasy sex or something rather than it's like, that would be the weirdest. Like that, that doesn't happen. Right. Mm. Healthy sex is based on on relationship, long lasting intimacy, connection, truly knowing each other. It doesn't just happen out of thin air. It's based in depth of relationship and connection. And so living in fantasy versus living in what's real. Right. Back to telling the truth, living in what's real. Um, You know, my wife and I have an argument. It's like, no, we're not going to just go have sex to use it as a pacifier. We're going to work through the argument. You know, it's probably going to be a few days until we can actually want to be next to each other like you have to live in what's real um rather than you know pornography paints this unrealistic expectation on sexuality um this unrealistic expectation on women that they're somehow going to want to just jump on you it's just like no that's not how it works um what have you been taught what has pornography taught you uh, versus what what actually is real yeah yeah i wonder if we can double down on this a little bit because i think this Mm -hmm. is a very common experience Guys grow up in the church, they hear uh, the two things, like you said, porn is bad and only have yep. sex in marriage. And, you know, if you wait until your, your marriage, then that wedding day is going to be glorious. You know, the heavens yeah. are going to open, Handel's Messiah is going to blare. <laughs> and, you know, yeah, it's the biggest it's the biggest lie ever. It's actually going to be incredibly disappointing. And you're going to have to take time and years and years to learn each other's bodies. But that's the beauty of it. That's, hmm. You're going to be terrible at sex. Because you've been having most likely false sex for over a decade. You are going to be terrible at it. She's going to be, if you both don't have you know, sexual experience, she's going to be terrible at it. That's the actual gift is you get to co-create and learn together each other's bodies, right? What feels good? What doesn't? Do you enjoy this? No. Do you? Yes. Okay. Can I do this for you? Can I? Giving and receiving pleasure is the gift, whereas porn is just the selfishness, right? but the gift is the mutuality is we both get to give and receive pleasure. 
Really well said. What what would be, how do you broach that subject? Let's say like couple's been married five years. They've never actually had the conversation. But, um, you know, the guys, the guys hearing this and going, oh, wow, okay, I, I didn't know that, but it makes sense. I want to do it. How do, you, mm -hmm. how do you bring that up? How do you get the ball rolling on kind of growing in your sexuality together? Yeah, Sheila Gregoire did a great book, The Great Sex Rescue, where she uh, did a questionnaire of over 20,000 women and did um, great research there. She found that the orgasm gap was 40 times women had orgasms 40% less than men, right? It's just like our sexuality has been so male-centered that we have, in a sense, forgot our partner. And I, I believe a lot of that is due to pornography and what pornography has taught us, right? Mm -hmm. So we have to stop saying male, uh, a male-centered sexuality versus a sh shared experience, mutual pleasure. We got to bring that up. We got to be talking about this stuff, you know? So read, read these books, read and begin to have these conversations with your spouse and, and admit that you've had a toxic view of sexuality. Yeah. You've had a backwards view or a selfish view of sexuality. I love that. I love that. And I, and I think, honestly, if, if the listeners get nothing else, get that. Um, just that importance of having those conversations and, um, and I think facing, like facing the reality of like, okay, porn has lied to me. Porn is mm -hmm. probably subconsciously and consciously created all kinds of ridiculous expectations. And the sooner I can broach those, the better yes. I can actually have a sexually healthy life. It's really well said, Andrew. Yes. Okay, uh, mature and immature. Break that one yeah, down for we, us. Yeah, we touched on, this, touched on this a little bit. What does it mean to outgrow pornography, right? I don't know. Um, I truly believe pornography use and addiction is an adolescent behavior. And so how do we begin to, to outgrow this? And how do we begin to be mature men who aren't insecure, who actually can deal with our wounds and take responsibility for our failures? And I, I believe in men so deeply. That's why I, I, I call out men. It's like, I actually believe you're capable of this. Yeah. We're very capable. I don't, we don't need to do little, you know, patty cake. Oh, I hope I don't hurt you. It's just like, no, I believe that you can be a strong man, a man who's, who's kind, who's not so insecure and, and can actually be a great lover. Yeah. Yeah. Really well said. Um, let's go to the next one. Yep. Next one selfishness versus mutuality we touched on this a little bit as well healthy sexuality is mutual um porn taught us to be selfish we just get to click and whatever we want right but in a sense women become um objects in a cafeteria line that we choose rather than based in mutuality healthy sex mm -hmm. is shared it's not selfish it's a shared experience um, and that's where the beauty is we get to co-create intimacy together yeah. Okay. I, I love that. I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about, and I, I guess we were kind of hitting on this. I'm um, talking about reality and fantasy where, um, you know, guys, guys watch porn. They see all these kinds of different positions and acts, yes. and then they go into marriage and, you know, their partner doesn't want to do all the things that they grew up seeing, understandably yep. so. Um, right. And I know some guys, it's been really tough to be like, but this, this seems so normal. Like why, why mm -hmm. is it so ridiculous what I'm asking or whatever? Um, right. I wonder if you can maybe just help course correct some of the perceptions around that. If guys are encountering those discrepancies in their marriage. Yeah. 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 Well, you really have to do a lot of self reflection, right? Like what are you asking for? Right. What are you, because if it is based in that pornographic mindset, um, it's not honoring, it's not co-creating, um, mm -hmm. but you get to co-create with your partner. And you get to, again, you get to work together to create something. 
but you first have to realize how warped your perception has been, right? Yeah. It's like, you got to own that first before you can blame her for not wanting, you know, anal sex, you know, some blowjob, whatever it is. It's like, you got to work through that. You got to, yeah. you got to take your ownership first. What are my expectations that I have been putting on her that are completely unfair um, and not rooted in relationship? What's her story of sexuality? If one in three women are sexually abused, right? Then that's pretty high chances that your own wife has a story of sexual abuse. Do you know her story? Hmm. Do you know um, the story of her, of her breasts? Do you know the story of her vagina? Do you know the story of, of your penis? Like we, we had to have these conversations. We got to begin to engage this with each other. Yeah, yeah, really, really well said. Um, okay, the next one, it is uh, honor and object or honor versus objectify. Yes, yes, this is very important, right? How do we honor beauty? So much of recovery work is changing our relationship with beauty, right? Hmm. When Mount Rainier is out in Seattle, it towers over the city. It's this beautiful mountain that brings us awe, brings awe, right? That's very different than when a woman goes by and I begin to part her out look at her butt, look at her breasts, and I objectify and I take from her beauty without consent. I'm not looking, I'm not looking at her in awe. Wow, God made her well. I'm looking at what I can take from her to arouse me. Very hmm. different. I need to change my relationship with beauty so that I can begin to have a healthy relationship. I need to look at her with awe, just like Mount Rainier. She's beautiful. I don't need to deny I that she's not beautiful. Beauty is, we're created for beauty. I love beauty. I'm meant for beauty. I'm not meant to consume and devour beauty. That's okay. very different. That's a very different posture. How did you change your relationship with beauty? What, what does it look like to actually mm -hmm. make that adjustment? Yeah, I, I think it's coaching myself, right? In, in the midst of it. It's, it's yeah. calming, my, calming my body. Again, arousal, arousal is great. When I see a beautiful woman, I feel aroused, sure. So arousal is not your problem, right? The, our penis actually gets aroused every, I think it's 15 minutes, or our penis would fall off our body. Um, wow. It's normal. It's normal. Arousal is not the issue. What do you do with your arousal is what could, can be problematic. Do not allow your penis to control you. You get to control your penis. You get to engage beauty in a healthy way rather than an objectifying way that consumes and takes. Yeah. I wonder um, if you think, and this is just a thought, but it, it sounds to me like you could not actually really improve your relationship with beauty and seeing women for, you know, what they really are without changing your view of God around sexuality yeah. and yeah. understanding him as the creator, the author of beauty, the author of yes. sexuality, and, yes. and really encountering that as well. Yes, uh, and, and so a more crass way to say it, I'm, I'm into being more crass. Please. Women, women are image bearers of God, right? So will you, will you, in a sense, objectify God, right? Will you masturbate to God? Like, hmm. do you hear how, in a sense, that feels so wrong? It feels so, and it's yet the creator, the creator, it, she bears God's image. And yet, right, in a sense, that's where you could defile God. Um, and that, that's not who I want to be. I want to honor God. I want to honor God's image in her. 
And that doesn't mean parting her out like a used car. That means yeah. seeing her holistically. That's profound. Yeah. Thanks for being blunt about it too. I think it puts it in perspective for sure. Um, okay. A kindness versus aggression. And we, we kind of touched on the aggression part already a little yes, bit, but, yes, uh, yes. but please, yeah, explain this one. Yeah. Kindness is vital, right? Cause we, we are learning sexuality with our partner. We are, you got to be kind to yourself. Um, a few weeks ago, I had kind of an emergency session. A guy's on his honeymoon. He's just falling apart. This is not what I thought. This is not, you know, this is that classic, that classic thing. And he's just beating himself up for not being able to perform. And it's just like, no, no, this is, this is okay. Yeah. Right. It's like teaching my, my son, my, well, my, my daughter, how to ride a bike. Right. Or let's, we'll just use my son as an example for the, um, for my inner, inner child. He's learning how to ride a bike. If he falls off, scrapes his knee, what's wrong with you? Suck it up, be a man. You know, what if I approached him like that? Get back on your bike and ride. He's going to learn how to ride. He's actually gonna learn how to ride probably pretty quick because he's scared of my violence. Hmm. Versus, oh buddy, I'm so sorry that had to hurt. Do you wanna try again? Do you wanna try again tomorrow? Um, how about we go on the grass so it doesn't hurt when you fall? Um, you are awesome, You're, right? Encouraging kindness. That little boy who's learning to ride a bike is within us learning how to be sexual, right? Learning how to engage sexuality. How do you engage the little scared little boy who's falling off the bike on his honeymoon, who's trying to learn? Do you engage him with violence and contempt? What's wrong with you? Why aren't you riding better? Well, it's because you've literally been using a toxic form of sexual education for the last 15 years and you suck at real genuine intimacy. That's why, that's why your <laughs> penis doesn't know what to do. Like <laughs> that's exactly why. Will you be kind to the harm and the violence and begin to offer kindness so that you can learn how to ride the bike and learn how to ride it with liberation rather than in fear. That's really good. I, I wonder if you can um, just touch on like, if you've been conditioned, let's say that was your upbringing, you had, you know, kind of rigid parenting, um, a lot of fear based sort of approach. So then for you, it's always the fear thing. It's the fear thing that drives yep. you. And, you know, this is often what drives people to do incredible things, right? They perform super well, um, mm -hmm. because fear is a great motivator. It's not healthy, but it mm -hmm. is a great motivator. How do you actually even maybe just come to terms with this a little bit because the idea of being kind to yourself can be uh one like very uncomfortable but then sure. two I, I can imagine people having that fear of like but what if i lose me you know like what if i lose yeah. the thing that's driving me to do all these great things i've done and to be who i am up until this point how do right. you reconcile that or, or detach from years of conditioning mm -hmm. yeah, yeah yeah so I, I believe romans what is it for two that the kindness of god leads to repentance I don't believe shame leads to repentance. I don't believe self-contempt leads to repentance. I don't believe fear leads to repentance. I believe kindness does. Kindness will actually, through kindness, you won't become prideful because you actually know your, your darkness, right? And I know my glory. When you know your glory, when you know your goodness, you can never be too self-contemptuous or I can never deny my sin, right? It's like I can hold both. I never can fall off the other extreme. Um, kindness actually leads to repentance. Kindness leads to humility, not pride. Um, and that's the work. And, and I think truly kindness will actually make it safer for you to be in relationship, right? Because mm. if I'm beating myself up all the time, 
It actually doesn't make you feel safe. It actually makes you, manipulates you into trying to have to take care of me. Hmm. Wow. That's really good. Really good. And I, the other thing I was thinking about as well is like, um, it's Matthew, uh, it's Matthew 22, I think, where Jesus is asked about the greatest commandment, you know, and he kind of creates that mm -hmm. paradigm of like, it's kindness here first vertically experiencing the kindness of God, like you're talking about allows yes. you to have kindness towards yourself. And mm -hmm. as much as you can be kind to yourself, you will be then kind to the people yes. around you. Right? Yes. Yes. Our next, uh, our next set here, demanding versus being patient. Yes, we covered this, some other ones, but yeah, how do we begin to be patient, right? Because if you're learning how to ride a bike, especially with your spouse, it's not demanding. It's not saying I demand this type of sex. I demand, that's entitlement. You don't get to demand anything. You get to co-create together. You get, mm -hmm. to, you get to be patient as you learn each other's bodies, as you learn each other's pleasure, as you learn this together. That's the beauty of it. Okay, yeah, really good, well said. Mm -hmm. Uh, yep. strength versus insecurity. Yep. We touched on this as well. Some strength. What does it mean to step into our power, step into our strength? I believe that's actually how we recover most fully is to actually become powerful, right? There's that thing in essay that I'm powerful. I'm a uh, powerless. It's kind of the first step in essay. And, and I agree with that to a point at the very beginning, but soon you actually have to take your power back. You actually mm. have to step into who God's made you to be so you can have strength to say no. You can have strength to stand up to sexism and misogyny. You can have strength to, to begin to be an advocate for women rather than somebody who continues to allow and is just a bystander to sexism and to violence against women. Yeah, I love the multidimensionality of that. And I think it would be easy to say like it's either insecurity or security, but you're using the word strength here, which I really like because I think, um, you know, just tying together some of the other elements like reality and humility and whatever else, yeah. Um, there's incredible strength from just being upfront up and honest about your insecurities as well and, yes. and understanding kind of your brokenness, the shortcomings, the areas where you still have, you know, eons to improve. All of that still falls under the category of strength. Like we're not creating pressure for people to be perfectly confident and, you know, everything right. like that. But it's just sure. it's, it's embracing your reality and there's tremendous strength in doing that. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Cool. Um, our last one here, uh, being uh, ashamed versus unashamed. Yes, there is so much shame, especially in the Christian world, of our sexuality. And a healthy sexuality is, is in a sense, being free, right? Being liberated. And that doesn't mean becoming shameless, right? It does, I remember um, in some of my, my, my woke progressive seminary, you know, people were like, oh, we're going to have sex over the campus. It's just like, this is that's just so stupid. You don't, in a sense, free yourself from shame by becoming shameless, Right. Mm. There, there, there is a there is a, a balance of breaking free from toxic shame, but also there's a healthy shame or, or guilt. Right. That's just like, no, I want to I want to be healthy in my sexuality. And so being um, without shame, being free is what we're talking about. And that doesn't mean just going to go have sex with everybody. That just that means not living in that unhealthy, toxic shame that kills us but stepping into a healthy shame or guilt when you do something wrong. Own it. Own your failures. Be responsible for, for your failures, but do not let toxic shame steal from you. Thank you for articulating that because I think um, I'm hearing that messaging a lot more like about you know sleeping around and, and having mm -hmm. sex outside of marriage and stuff, but it's okay because I don't feel guilt about it or I don't mm -hmm. feel you know the thing about it. 
Um, but that, that line you just drew between being shameless versus unashamed, I think that's really powerful, Andrew. Thank, thank you yes. for that. It's really cool. Yeah, for sure. So, so I'm curious, you know, you've, you've obviously been in this for a long time. You're working on your doctorate. Um, mm -hmm. You've been published multiple times. Um, I guess I have two questions. One is kind of looking back and one's looking forward. Mm -hmm. When you look back from when this first started day one for you, helping other guys uh, with their sexual wholeness, what are some of the, the recurring themes that you kind of know, like uh, 50, 100 years from now, we're still going to be talking about these same things because they're just fundamental to the recovery journey and to healthy sexuality yeah. at large? Yeah. Um, two, two big themes that jump out, uh, objectification and shame, right? Okay. Um, shame is huge, especially if you're working with folks who have been kind of grown up more strict evangelical. Um, you're going to be facing that. And then also objectification. We live in a patriarchal society that is, you know, it's not just that sex sells. It's the objectification of women's cell, right? So that's what sells. And, and so it's so norm, normal, right? The over-sexualization of women, the consumption of women, that the objectification has become the new norm, right? Mm -hmm. Pornography is actually just kind of normal. It's uh, women, right? yeah, of course, every guy looks at porn. And it's become so normalized. Right. And when 50 percent of pastors have a relationship with porn, 70 percent of Christian men, it's like it's become normalized in our own Christian circles. Right. Hmm. And so, of course, pastors are not going to talk about it. Of course, they're going to make it about a woman's dress. Right. About her low cut blouse, about, um, you know, keeping the door open and being above reproach because they don't want to deal with their own shame that 50 yeah. that, that, that they're addicted to porn. So they're going to make it about women instead of making it about their own sexuality, because that's much harder to take responsibility for your own broken sexuality than to blame women, right? So that's my hope moving forward as well. Um, I've recently doing research uh, from 2,800 women who've volunteered in Christian ministry or worked professionally in Christian ministry and their experience of sexism in the church. And so that's one of my new projects that I'm working on in a new book um, is getting that research out there of women's voices because that's part of, for me, being an ally now, instead of an abuser, of becoming an ally for women, becoming a voice, using my privilege, my status um, as a man, um, as a white man. Like, I've got to begin to use my privilege to help others who have been oppressed, um, help others who've been marginalized, and who I have also oppressed and I have marginalized. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate that and, and love that self-awareness as well. Um, what are, oh, well, I mean, obviously you're going to make a book out of this. I'm sure you can't share all the dirty details of it, so to speak, but, uh, what are you finding in, in that survey? And I'm, I'm wondering as well, if there's any link here between some of the moral failures that we are seeing among some of our, our prominent Christian leaders. And obviously there's tons of that happening as well among people who aren't as well known. Um, is there a link there? And can you touch a little bit on, on what you're observing so far in your research? Yeah. Oh, complete, complete link. I mean, I truly believe that's why we're experiencing so much of this and why women have been so silent is because of our own unprocessed shame and why it's so normalized in church. And I think why some of the patriarchal theology, um, complementarianism, these other theologies that um, actually do a lot of harm and enable abuse, right? It's not a big leap to objectify women for 20 years and then put women lower and not, <laughs> not advocate for a woman's voice. Like, uh, like that makes a lot of sense. It's not a huge leap to then say, I'm not going to respect a woman's voice. Right. And mm, I know that wow. because I was a pastor. I know that because I did that. Um, no, women were left. They could serve us our, our lunch while we made the really hard decisions 
um, about the church, right? They could serve us because in a sense, we're closer to God. When in reality, I'm an addict. When in reality, I'm lying. When in reality is probably they have a much better relationship with God than I do. Um, <laughs> and so it's, it's, it's like, that's the work for, for me and my calling moving forward. Um, that's, that's where I'm heading. That's really cool. So that, that was actually my, my next question and um, probably one of my last ones here as we wrap. But when you look ahead, Andrew, what, what do you feel like um, is maybe some of the main messages you're going to trumpet in the days ahead so that, um, you know, I think you and I know, like, we, we want to help the individuals who are going to come to us, but we really want to help the masses as well because, um, mm -hmm. like, this, the, the sexual misbehavior, the porn consumption, all of it's on the rise. And um, yes. the kind of messages you have are needed now more than ever. Where do you see all this going and, and what are you hoping to kind of trumpet uh, in the days ahead? Yeah, yeah. Well, to me, it's like stopping looking at naked women is like such the, the basic, right? It's the baseline. Um, yeah. And, and that, obviously that has to be done first. You have to create your porn free environment. You have to you're not going to be an advocate for women if you're still abusing women. So we start there. Right. And so as I'm 12 years into my sobriety, it's like, yes, my calling is changing. Um, and advancing in the sense of I am going to be a fierce advocate. I'm going to break down sexist theology. I'm going to break down these things that have helped harm women. I'm going to elevate women's voices and I'm going to be an ally instead of a bystander. Right. So I've been yeah. pushing myself whenever I hear sexist comments to really confront it. Right. Instead of that boys club that just kind of allows it. So I've had quite a few weird interactions where I'm like, oh, geez. Right. I remember. A woman walked by and this guy goes, you know, make some cat call, woo, woo, you know, to the girl. And I'm like, crap, like I've got to live into this. And so, right. you know, I make I begin to pass him by. And um, as he does that, and I say, dude, she's a woman. Treat her, treat her respectively, something like that. And he's like, you mother, you know, whatever. But I'm like, he started cussing me out. But I'm like, I at least begin to practice what I'm preaching. Right. I'm not going to be a bystander to women being objects. I'm going mm. to say something i'm going to this is a man's fight this is a man's issue because we've perpetuated it for so long i've perpetuated it for so long we have to take it on women have been fighting this for so long in the church and it's time for for me to begin um to fight that's a really uh really powerful statement and it's neat to kind of see that evolution of calling as well because obviously this started with talking about the addiction helping guys mm -hmm. Um, and it's neat to see the way that's developed. My final question for you is uh, you're a father, you have a daughter and a mm -hmm. son. And it's interesting because it feels like even for you to sort of, um, I guess, have that transition from really focusing on the male experience and that kind of thing. And now helping, you know, uh, not helping, but trumpeting that message about mm -hmm. objectifying women, seeing them the right way. What are some of the messages that you're trying to instill in your kids um, that maybe go beyond healthy sexuality, which I think obviously is, is clearly a very core message of yours. What are some of the other messages that you're hoping they get as well as they grow up in this world and explore their own yeah. sexuality? Yeah, a lot of it is, is honor, right? Honoring each other's bodies, right? Talking about it. We're talking about penises. We're talking about vaginas. We're talking about <laughs> breasts. We're talking about sex. Like yeah. it's just open rather than what I experienced was such a silent, silent um, thing. Nobody talked about anything. Whereas we're trying to normalize it. We're trying to, this is appropriate touch. I remember my son um, was two and we're in the grocery store and he's just going to town on his penis and i'm like geez this is this is you know uh, i'm like i don't want to shame him i don't want to so i look at him and i say hey buddy is 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 anybody else touching their penis in the grocery store 
And he looks around and he goes, <laughs> he goes, he goes, no, daddy. And I said, okay, well, we don't, we, we do that at home. Okay. We don't do that in the grocery store. He's like, oh, okay. And he took his hands out of his pants and it's like, yes, that was a win. Right. It's like, we've got to begin to, to help create not shame-based kids, but, but normalize the beauty of our bodies, the beauty of our penises, the beauty of, of women. Both. That's amazing. Yeah, I love that example. Yeah, very cool. Um, Andrew, this has been really rich. Thank you for just um, sharing and walking yeah. us through the framework. I know people are probably going to want to connect with you. Um, are you still blogging a lot or what are the best ways yeah. for guys to, uh, to get in touch with what you're doing? Yeah, you can find uh, my blog on Andrew, www.andrewjbauman.com, uh, where I write a bunch and um, check out a bunch of my books, written about five books. And then um, also our therapeutic offerings. Um, we run the Christian Counseling Center for Sexual Health and Trauma. Um, you can find us on www.christiancc.org. Amazing. Thanks for everything, Andrew. This has been awesome. Yeah, you're welcome. So that was my interview with Andrew J. Bowman. I hope you were really blessed by that. I think his framework, um, in my opinion, like this framework is really probably the culmination of um, the last decade or so that he has done in this space. So uh, really, really good stuff. And I hope you were impacted by it. Um, I want to really encourage you guys. He, he told me afterwards that he's not really even doing therapy anymore. Uh, all he runs is workshops and intensives. He does one every week. He has about eight people down. They do marriage workshops. They do men's workshops on the East Coast and the West Coast. Um, so if you're interested in that, um, on the East Coast, they meet, I think in North Carolina, he said near Asheville. And in uh, or on the West Coast, it is in Seattle where he's based. But uh, I highly encourage you to check his stuff out. And he is still blogging regularly. He's releasing books on a pretty consistent basis as well. And obviously, he alluded to that at the end of the interview. He's got uh, some really interesting work coming out here in the future. So um, lots of, of ways for you to connect with him. We're going to put all this in the show notes, but I really do encourage you to go check him out and, um, and yeah, buy some of his books, uh, sign up for a workshop. There's so much to, to grow and to gain from a guy like that. Uh, hey, thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you had an amazing day, and uh, we really do encourage you um, if you want to support us, one of the best things you can do that means the world to me and to our team here is just to share the word, to maybe share this interview with somebody that you think might need it. Um, you know, he's got some really interesting perspectives. Maybe there's something you heard in here that you're like, I don't know if I agree with that. Um, that could be a good conversation. I know I do that with some of my friends. I'm like, hey, I don't know what I think about this. Give it a listen. Let's talk about it and see. Um, but anyway, well, however you want to do it, if you share it with somebody, it really works wonders for us. And that would just mean the world to me. So that's everything for today, guys. Thanks for listening. Much love to all of you. Have an amazing day. We'll talk to you very, very soon. Bye-bye. Hey, everybody. It's Sophia again. Thanks for listening to Unleash the Man Within. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to me if you left a rating or review on your podcast platform. Now, I want to take this final moment to invite you to something that I'm really excited about, our deep clean VIP community. Here's the deal. We saw that in this space of manhood, sexuality, and faith, there are a lot of unasked questions. They range from relationships to sex to male anatomy, calling, career, and everything in between. We create a deep clean VIP for men like you who want regular coaching from me, 
VIP access to our podcast guests, where you get to interact with some of the world's leading experts in men's health, a monthly seminar, and a community of men from around the world pursuing success in life and integrity in sexuality. Deep Clean VIP provides answers to your deepest questions, hope for a full recovery, and the necessary tools to make that full recovery a reality. If you're ready to take things to the next level, I want you to stop what you're doing right now and sign up for Deep Clean VIP at www.satheasam.com slash deepcleanvip. The link is in the show notes, but let me give it one more time. That's www.satheasam.com slash deepcleanvip. Thanks for listening. I look forward to connecting with you very, very soon. The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast by Sathya Sam and his guests are for general information only and should not be considered medical, clinical, or any other form of professional advice. Any reliance on the information provided is done at your own risk.